Welcome to the Buddha Sasana Podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Austin, Texas. Today I want to finish our discussion of formations, particularly to explore their relation to karma and to look at how we bring them to cessation to break that far upstream link in the chain. Kamma, or Sanskrit karma, is defined as volitional action, action of body, speech, or mind. Since volition is mental and must arise prior to acts of body and speech, kamma is often simply defined as volition or intention, sanchetana or chetana. However, the word kamma is typically used in the context of ethical valuation. A comic action can be of benefit, for instance, or of harm. The most important valuation is in terms of the quality of the volition, which can be skillful or wholesome, kusala, or unskillful or unwholesome, akusala. For instance, a bodily act motivated by kindness is skillful karma. An utterance motivated by ill will is unskillful karma. Misconceived thought processes or false views are likewise unwholesome karma. Karma might be identified either with the intention that is a factor of name described in an earlier talk or with the formations described in the current talk. An intention would be the case of a plan or aspiration formulated, which means constructed of formations, prior to actualization by body or speech. For instance, we might formulate a plan to distribute socks to hobos. A formation would be a case of applying a disposition to making a simple choice in composing that intention. It should be noted that formations like karma, are also classified to be of body, speech, and mind. And And what what bhikkhus are the formations? There are these three kinds of formations. The bodily formation, the verbal formation, the mental formation. Moreover, formations like karma are also classified as meritorious punya, or demeritorious, apunya, roughly skillful or unskillful, as well as neutral, aninja, imperturbable. Moreover, these qualities carry over to the cognizance they produce. Because if a person immersed in ignorance generates a meritorious formation, cognizance arrives at the meritorious. If he generates a demeritorious formation, cognizance arrives at the demeritorious. If he generates an imperturbable formation, cognizance arrives at the imperturbable. 
Furthermore, karma tends to be dispositional. Repeated hateful deeds make one a hateful person, trending towards more hateful deeds. Repeated kindnesses tend toward more kindness. To the extent that they are dispositional, karma is appropriately classified as formations rather than as intentions, since intentions are typically compounded, one-time-only occurrences, not easily habituated. In summary, karma seems to be identified ambiguously with either intention, formations, or cognizance but it's in formations that their critical dispositional quality resides. Where karma is not found is in the link of craving. We might expect that craving gives immediate rise to unskillful karma. For instance, sensual lust might give rise to the unskillful intention to steal someone's wallet. Indeed, craving is a conditioning factor for almost all unskillful or demeritorious karma, just not a direct conditioning factor. Craving is conceptually a need, a gap between the world and what we would like the world to be, along with associated discomfort. Although it is not in itself an intention, an intention typically arises as seeking to close the gap, with the descent of cognizance that is then nourished by that craving. The intention is always unskillful to the extent it is motivated by or rooted in greed or aversion, the two forms of craving. There are these three roots of what is unskillful. Which three? Greed as a root of what is unskillful, aversion as a root of what is unskillful, delusion as a root of what is unskillful. These are the three roots of what is unskillful. Delusion itself has diverse conditioning factors discussed as ignorance in uh, next week's talk, but which include craving, greed, aversion, And delusion, friend, make one blind, unseeing, and ignorant. They destroy wisdom or bound up with distress and do not lead to nibbana. And again, greed leads to my own affliction, to others' affliction, and to the affliction of both. It obstructs wisdom, causes difficulties, and leads away from nibbana. As for greed, so for aversion and delusion. Suppose that, out of greed, a scoundrel formulates the wicked plan to steal shoes from hobos, repackage them, and market them to teenagers. This is a one-off, karmically unskillful intention, creative and clever, and composed of habituated, unskillful karmic formations, which support theft falsification, and swindle deeply rutted dispositions in this particular scoundrel's mental landscape. This allows us to make sense of the term old karma, old kamma. Old kamma, purana kamma, is a disposition toward karmic formations. It's a rut in our mental landscape that, 
In the case of old unskillful karma, bends toward greed, aversion, or delusion, a disposition that manifests in the context of greed, aversion, or delusion. Theft, falsification, and swindle are old kamma in the case of our scoundrel. Watch out. A relevant question is, can we call all formations karma? Or are all dispositions old karma? Since karma can be of body, speech, or mind, and there are meritorious, demeritorious, and imperturbable formations as determinants of rebirth, it seems an affirmative answer to these questions is in the offing. However, I know of no clear statement about this in the early texts. The Buddhist statement, the I is old karma, that we encountered in earlier talks, indicates that this term is used for dispositions in general, whether or not they have immediate ethical consequences, since the function of the I is more closely related to perception than to intention. Recall the simile used to describe growth produced through cognizance. The cognizance is the seed, the four other aggregates are the field, and craving is the moisture. Given that formations constitute the aggregates, the field might just as well be formations. Significantly, karma is found as the field in lieu of the aggregates in this passage. Thus, Ananda, for beings hindered by ignorance and fettered by craving, karma is the field, cognizance the seed, and craving the moisture for their cognizance to be established in an inferior realm, as for inferior, so for middling or superior. On the other hand, the reference to realms of rebirth in this passage suggests that formations specifically are of ethical significance. In any case, understanding the dispositional aspect of formations gives us a psychological explanation of why our karma comes back to bite us, independent of any cosmological mechanisms that we might imagine are at work. The Buddha summarized this principle as follows. I will be heir of whatever karma, good or bad, that I do. Well-intentioned deeds work to our own benefit as well as to the benefit of others. Poorly intentioned deeds work against our own benefit as well as against the benefit of others. The effect of one's own action accrued for oneself is called its karmic result, vipaka, or alternatively its karmic fruit, pala. Otherwise, we can talk about the results or fruits of practice, for without producing future results, what would be the point of practice? So if I purposely harm someone, it will be to my future detriment, and if I give generously to the benefit of another, it will be to my future well-being. Now, unskillful formations are rooted in greed, aversion, and delusion, which are directly tied up with craving, 
which is in turn tied up in suffering. Therefore, the arising of unskillful formations in the production of unskillful intentions is painful. Moreover, formations tend to repeat themselves and easily become dispositions. As we continue to behave in unskillful ways, these same dispositions and the kinds of intentions they produce are ever more likely to manifest over and over, scoring deeper and deeper ruts in our mental landscape and becoming more definitive of our character and of our future behavior and of our future well-being. Each time we fall into one of these ruts, we experience the pain of the demeritorious all over again. Whereas at one point we had been a person who responded out of anger, now we suffer as an angry person. In this sense, we are heir to our own deeds. We even begin to experience the health problems of an angry person. After a lifetime steered by unskillful dispositions, we die in anguish and with remorse. The opposite occurs in the case of a skillful karma. We enjoy the supramundane joy of a generous deed right away and at the same time strengthen those dispositions involved in that generous act, increasing the likelihood that we will revisit that joy and strengthen that disposition even further. After a lifetime of generosity, we die peacefully and without regret. Even physical beauty adheres to ethical character. Kind people often exhibit a kind of angelic glow, where hateful people seem perpetually under a cloud with furrowed brow. Through our karma, we are quite capable of creating a personal hell right here on earth or a heaven. The Cessation of Formations Formations entail small presumptions as they are applied by cognizance and other cognitive factors to construct the entirety of the experienced world, but generally arise under the strong cross-entangled influence of craving and appropriation tainted by self-serving views and actions and by mindless proliferation. They become habituated as dispositions as they are repeated. However, not all formations are created equal. Since we make use of formations to presume the world that we find so painful, if we select formations more skillfully, we should be able to limit the undesirable consequences of formations. Much of this is through ethical practices that result in karmically wholesome formations. Because there are these four kinds of karma proclaimed by me after I realize them for myself with direct knowledge. What for? There is dark karma with dark result. There is bright karma with bright result. There is dark and bright karma with dark and bright result. And there is karma that is neither dark nor bright with neither dark nor bright result, karma that leads to the destruction of karma. And what bhikkhus is dark karma with dark result? Here someone performs an afflictive, 
bodily volitional activity and afflictive verbal volitional activity and afflictive mental volitional activity. As a consequence, he is reborn in an afflictive world. And what is bright karma with bright result? Here someone performs a non-afflictive bodily volitional activity, a non-afflictive verbal volitional activity, and a non-afflictive mental activity. As a consequence, he is reborn in a non-afflictive world. Dark and bright karma with dark and bright result is then described as a mixture of the first two and lands us in a world that is both afflictive and non-afflictive. We aim for bright karma through ethical practices and particularly through developing purity of mind, in consequence of which we become less under the influences of dispositions rooted in greed, aversion, and delusion. We also take control of where cognizance descends through appropriate attention, providing a basis for developing virtue and insight and avoiding proliferation or the taint of craving. What I just talked about limits the unfortunate consequences of formations. Their cessation is the end of presumption that leads thereby to awakening. And what is karma that is neither dark nor bright with neither dark nor bright result? Karma that leads to the destruction of karma. The volition for abandoning the kind of karma that is dark with dark result. The volition for abandoning the kind of karma that is bright with bright result. And the volition for abandoning the kind of karma that is dark and bright with dark and bright result. This is called karma that is neither dark nor bright with neither dark nor bright result, karma that leads to the destruction of karma. The karma that ends karma is based primarily in contemplative practice, in which we learn to see through the illusory nature of concepts and views and behold a world without presumption. To end formations is to see all conceptualizations as empty and misleading. As with cognizance, we might question why we would want to do this. Concepts seem so helpful in many ways. They help you to, to listen to this talk, for instance. Once again, the Buddha is teaching dependent co-arising is focused rather single-mindedly on spiritual concerns, on what it gets us into trouble and leads to the human dilemma. Formations and karma certainly are major contributors to this. We'll take up in future talks what it is for the arahant to experience the end of concepts, karma, cognizance, and the rest. Thank you.